friends, and welcome to the final Coffee Clatch Crew Mr. Robot episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And this week we try to defrag episodes 12 and 13. And I'm not saying 412 and 413 because those aren't named with those titles. We're just throwing the rule book out the window. In fact, up until last night, which was Saturday night, IMDb just had series finale part one as the title and series finale part two. And then last night, it changed to Who Am I? and Hello, Elliot for the last one. Which we're still not even sure if that's confirmed because it's not on the official USA website. But it doesn't matter because Sam Asmel has delivered us an ending which I believe we all truly enjoyed. IMDb definitely says so. They're giving 12 a 9.8 and 13 a 9.9. In part one, Elliot wakes in an abandoned lot following the explosion to find the Washington Township plant is no longer there. In part two, he gets to Coney Island and the delusion begins to slip. The critics are saying Elliot's psychological coping mechanisms may have been baroque, to say the least, but his underlying problems, from the childhood abuse to his fury at the condition of the world, are far from unique. In the end, the most tantalizing fantasy Mr. Robot places before us isn't a reckoning with the upper class or the creation of an alternate reality. It's the possibility of reintegrating our shattered selves and healing the breaches caused by the people and the systems that have hurt us. And that is the ultimate end goal. We had said in last episode, 411, that we felt there were two big questions on the table we needed answers to with the finale in order to feel satisfied. Number one was... What was White Rose's machine? What was this project she was working so hard on? Was it real? Did it work? And number two, what was going on in Elliot's psyche? Who am I? And thus, which reality is real? And then we threw in a number three later on in that episode, where we stated that we needed to know exactly what 1116 meant. Well, those were like kind of minor things that we were hoping, but the two big questions on the table for the entirety of the season and quite some time now have been one sort of plot driven related to White Rose and two character driven related to Elliot. So unfortunately, and we'll get into it later in the episode, we don't get number one. That is left ambiguous, but we get plenty of number two. And thus, I feel really good about the finale. I really enjoyed it. Obviously, coming from a psychological perspective, I love the stuff that was going on. Figuring out at the end of the day what was happening inside Elliot's mind. The realization that we've really never met full core personality Elliot. And this guy we've been hanging out with for four seasons is just one small part. Yeah, that was a twist we did not see coming. And I do understand what this critic says. It's ultimately not really about this larger goal, the reckoning with the upper classes, the starting an anarchist revolution. It turns out, yeah, that's a piece of it because that is the whole purpose of this altar's existence, to try to create a better world for our Elliot that he could live in. The Avenger. But at the end of the day, he's not taking on this crusade for moral reasons or ethical reasons, a kind of, but it's at heart, a lot more personal than that. That's why I felt Esmail didn't see the need to go in as much on the plot-driven, 
what are the 1% like White Rose up to? I definitely agree. Now seeing it with the answers, that was our Elliot's, <laughs> the Avengers, important story arcs, but not ours. Ours was always about, well, Elliot. What is important is that the Avenger did succeed in everything that he wanted to. He lost a lot of people. He lost a lot of loved ones, and we'll get to that later. But in the end, he didn't lose himself. In fact, in the end, Elliot is finally back. He also realized that success can mean something seemingly a lot smaller, although there's nothing more important. The revelation comes that this world, this repetitive loop he's constructed for that part of Elliot to reside in, while he figures this out, is without Darlene, and thus will never be complete. It's not about the shenanigans, quote-unquote, that Magda is getting upset with Mr. Robot, you've let this go on too far. It's this relationship I finally forged again with my sister. That's part of what it means to create a better world, a better place for Elliot to live in. So I understand that that has to take center stage. I'm not going to pretend that I'm not still frustrated and wouldn't have liked a little bit more answer as far as some of the plot-driven stuff, some of the White Rose stuff. I don't feel frustrated that our theorizing was not confirmed or denied. I'm going to stand by the opinion we put out at the beginning of the season. I had a fun ride with all of it. Absolutely. And I don't care which answer or none of them was the case in this world. It was still a very interesting piece. White Rose's character was amazing to follow. It just seems some of that stuff was built up to no real conclusion. And in looking back now, I think that if that wasn't going to be a huge piece of it, there are perhaps some other psychological aspects I would have liked to dive a little deeper into instead with the show. And I do see that Esmail was using that as a red herring right. so that we would follow that. But I, I was afraid that that might be the case. And now you're missing out on some of the stuff that could have contributed a little bit more to who is our Elliot at the end of the day, such as the character of Magda, which I think is a big open-ended question within this series that we don't know a lot in real life, about her or the state to which she exists as an altar for Elliot. We did get a little bit of an answer for that. Just enough, I believe, to make it sit well in my head as one of his altars, why she was brought up and brought into this world. The Magda personality, that is. Well, we know that she is the formulation of the persecutor, which we'll get into a little bit. And we talked earlier on this season about some of the typical types of altar presentations with dissociative identity disorder. We brought up all of the ones actually that Elliot winds up utilizing, but that's a very simple kind of answer that she is the representative of the abuser or the abuse this person has suffered. We don't learn a lot about what their relationship was truly like when he was younger, why Darlene feels the same about her, which of that stuff that we saw in flashbacks was totally real or a product of Elliot's memories. What kind of larger purpose does she serve inside of his mind? Which again, there's glimpses like scenes of the boardroom, but it's very, very brief. I mean, even the inner child Elliot got an episode this season, or at least part of it, to take our Elliot on the journey with the key. So those are some minor things that I would have liked to see. But on the whole, I thought this was a good finale. I thought this was a great finale. I thought it was beautiful. From the scoring throughout both of these episodes, that uh, thrilling horror type to the beautiful ending music by M83. I actually, the next day at work, just played that song because I wanted to hear it again. You're talking about outro. Yes. That plays as Elliot's life flashes by at the very end on the movie projector. 
in addition to the Mac Quayle scoring, yeah, we got several good songs. Another one was Queen by Perfume Genius, where Elliot and Angela are back in the arcade at Fun Society. But the big one was Mr. Roboto by Styx <laughs> in the opening of part one. And we actually got a write-in from a Clatcher saying, I would love to hear you guys go in-depth, line by line, on the lyrics of this song. Rather than just a mere shout-out to a fandom who wanted this, the song really captures the whole series arc with almost every line. This is especially fascinating if you approach it not only from a technological angle, but also from the DID aspect of the show. Could Sam have possibly used this song as inspiration for the creation of Mr. Robot? And I think absolutely, you and I love to look at the music more in-depth. And I found some references in regard to this. So the first line, Domo Arigato, Mr. Robato. Domo means very much, and Arigato means thank you. They say this phrasing is a bit forward. In Japanese culture, you don't want to just say Arigato to a person you don't know without the gozaimasu at the end. But unfortunately, this has no translation into English, so they don't use it. You can't alter that word, but it is a polite way to put that at the end of certain phrases. Thus, the author says you can infer the singer probably knows Mr. Robot and is friends with him. <laughs> so that's clue number one very early on, just the way the phrasing is put together, the relationship that they have together, and I never knew that. And that reminds me during the flashback montage when Mr. Robot says, I wanted to take the punches for you. Mm -hmm. And after that fight, Elliot hugs him and says, thank you. Oh, even more. It's so emotional now when you see Mr. Robot several times this episode turning to him and calling him kiddo. Well, during the trippy moment, he's like, kiddo, 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 kiddo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that one's scary. Well, the next line, mata ohima, literally means see you again. It's an informal way of saying goodbye to someone. This says that most English speakers know that sayonara means goodbye, but they don't realize it carries a final connotation. Like, I never intend to see you again, which makes it a bit rude to say to somebody. Mm. It has friendly uses, but apparently if you say it to a boss, a loved one, somebody close to you, it's almost a passive-aggressive fuck you. Like, we're done? Well, like, I hope I never see you again. Yeah. Well, that's why in the 90s, those action flicks, they'd be like, sayonara, motherfucker. I guess so, <laughs> but I just didn't know the intricacies of the language mechanics here. And of course, the lyrics go on to say, We are alive, full of energy. We are working with a battery now. It's nothing but mechanics. We'll play it automatically. We are anything you want to do. We are tuned just to do it. Thank you very much for your help. We can't live without you. That does fit perfectly. And the last line translates to, I want to share secrets with you. <laughs> Hello, friend. And there friend. are certainly many that come out in the course of this episode. So thank you for asking for that deep dive, Stephen. Well, even our opening song, Hello, Friend, What I'm About to Tell You is Top Secret. Yeah, it was baked in well. from the original, as <laughs> SML said it was. Of course, there's some fun shout outs, as there always are, within this show. Some people have said the final scene is a direct homage to the Stargate sequence from 2001 A Space Odyssey, when Elliot panics and all of the faces turn into Mr. Robot, as you were just saying. Yeah. That could be a call out to being John Malkovich. There's a couple of Matrix references. There's also a few more. The last little bit that Sam Asimov could get back to the future references. <laughs> when our Elliot gets to this seemingly perfect world. The loop. That is reflective of when Marty McFly gets to the future. Mm -hmm. And he's walking around and he's looking at everything. He's crossing the street and then almost gets hit by a car. Same thing happened to Elliot. The corner cafe following his father home, speaking to the kid. 
There's a lot of little I think that's probably the biggest one, Back to the Future. Also, before we get into the synopsis, I think it's important to go back to our discussion on dissociative identity disorder with the different types of personalities you can see. It's a little misreading that they and we, for naming purposes, were calling the core Elliot the host. Mm -hmm. That's how they're utilizing it. That's not true. In fact, that's a separate type of person within the system. It's the one that's most often present and in control who deals with daily functioning. So that can be the core personality, but a lot of times it's not. And here we see at least... During these months. During these past few months, it's been the Avenger, not core Elliot, but they're going to call him that. So we won't get off on that sidetrack, the host, the core, however you want to refer to him. Because now I'm confused. So we're referring to the host as the real Elliot? Yeah. The Avenger. Because that's how they're using the terminology. So the host or the core we can use to talk about real Elliot. Okay. Ours, the Avenger, is also called the mastermind. And that is fitting. We did talk about an Avenger personality who holds the rage from the experiences they've been through and might seek retribution. They can express anger at the entire system and may be hostile. And we had assumed that was the person we hadn't seen yet Mm -hmm. when they were talking about the other one. Well, we're going to get this guy who's very angry. And yet we were saying from the beginning of this season, Elliot was doing some things that didn't seem like him. He was treating other people in a bizarre way, starting off very early on with Freddie Lomax, where he said people like that deserve what they get. They deserve to die. And I said, wait a second, this doesn't feel like our Elliot. And of (laughs) course, our Elliot is this guy. He has been all along. But the point is, it's a tip off to the rage that's inside of this altar. Yes. And we've seen it in moments. Remember when he freaked out on us in the train and grabbed us by the head and threw us down? Mm -hmm. That was cool. The way he got at certain points with Darlene throughout the course of the series and definitely this season. Looking back on everything, I want to rewatch this if we ever get time because so much more makes sense now. And the hoodie is very emblematic. It is super important. Not that the switching was happening every single time here and that's an indicator as we thought it might be. It's his cape. Yes, very true. But it is iconic of this altar to the point that Mr. Robot brings it to him. On the beach. That's right. Yeah. This is your this is your sign. And maybe there could have been some times bleeding. where there was some breakthrough or bleeding of core Elliot. Just I, because he's being pushed into a box doesn't mean there's times where part of that can't be coming out. Perhaps, but I don't believe we ever met him or saw him. Not fully met him. No, I agree with you. There's been a lot of talk about that and people wondering when did the Avenger really come to the fore. There could have been, again, some time early in season one where you saw little bits of core Elliot. Maybe, yeah. But I think he was coming out from the beginning of this series. I think that's the story we were telling and that's kind of the point that we've never met full, whole, integrated Elliot before. And that is what I love about the ending of the season. It wasn't just a dream. It wasn't something that we've seen before. It wasn't uh, he was in the hospital the whole time in a coma. We didn't see this coming. And similar to the way you walk out of Matrix for the first time, and you're like, wow, I didn't see that. And you, you think about that all the time. It's the same slam dunk here. I didn't realize we, were nev- we never met Elliot. Yeah, so he was asleep. That part of it that we kept trying to figure out, how could he be asleep Is it a coma? Is he in in an institution? Some of what we're seeing can't be real. Well, it was real, but he was also asleep, tucked Mm -hmm. down into his mind somewhere, stuck on a repetitive loop. But a really nice one. A really nice (laughs) one, but we will get to that too because 
we had surmised last time the OK Go Elliot was not going to be a real representation either of the real Elliot. I said, I think this is just another part of him that we haven't seen yet. The one who is maybe a little more well-adjusted to life, who wants things that are more quote-unquote normal. These goals of meeting someone and falling in love and just living a more mundane existence, he's okay with that. Well, it's the thing sometimes, he tells alternate Tyrell, he wishes were different. At the end of the day, he feels very lucky for it. So that is a piece of him, but, but none of this really looks like Elliot. And in fact, maybe at the end of the day, if you saw the real Elliot, it wouldn't look like Rami Malek. We'll get into that conversation later too. I think that's the whole point. We've gotten to see all of this facet, all of these different facets of him, but what will he look like if he's able to incorporate them together? We don't know. We don't get to see that. That's the next journey after this show ends. So to come back to this personality conversation, we also, of course, have the protector, the one who is easiest to figure out, Mr. Robot, created to help the person escape intolerable situations, a personality that's usually tougher or braver. And another character that, to me, feels so much more important and so much more likable now that I know what he was doing all four seasons. He's the one that we've really swung back and forth on yeah. in the biggest way throughout the course of this show, down to we were ready to give up on him. I wasn't. But when we found out the truth about real Edward Alderson, Elliot's father, and it was hard to even look at Christian Slater on screen, but understanding that this was not him, this was an introject of the idealized father, Mm -hmm. and so bent on protection, we find out that he's willing to play along with the Avenger for four seasons. Absolutely. Do whatever it takes to try to get this mission resolved, because he too wants a better world for Elliot. I was constantly going back and forth in my brain, trying to figure out why this Mr. Robot... Well, let me back up. A couple of episodes ago, we really learned that he was the protector when he started to unfold the rest of Elliot's past that the mastermind didn't know about. I was like, okay, so a lot of this he did to help him. He does love him. He is the protector. But why in season one was he so mean to him? He was almost like uh, the bad guy, we were led to believe. The teasing him on the train when he first starts to appear, the taking over for multiple days in a row. Why was he so unlike a protector? Well, now it really makes sense because this was a new person, this Elliot that we were introduced to in the beginning. He didn't know much. He had no memory of the past, no memory of his multiple personalities, no memory of his sister, but he wanted to pull off this hack. He was the Avenger, right? Mm -hmm. So Mr. Robot, and he said this in season one, I had to take over to make sure this was done correctly. It's almost as if I had to make sure that you weren't going to make mistakes. You're so new. Well, or I had to play along a little bit. Maybe I didn't even always fully agree with what this mastermind was doing. But out of the purpose of my whole reason for being is to protect Elliot, if this is what it's going to take to go along with this guy to get along, I'll do that. Well, I don't think he reached that resolution till somewhere in season two. After they were fighting and he tried to shoot him. Yeah. Their chess match. That was the showdown. And then he said, all right, let's just go along with the shenanigans. Exactly. (laughs) I think he went into that boardroom, quote unquote, with the rest of the personalities. And that's the idea, the plan they came up with. We'll play along with him until we can show him the light. Get it done, yeah. So season one was just... Mr. Robot 
physically fighting with this new personality, trying to gain control and keep control. I was a little confused about that aspect of it, that the mastermind didn't have knowledge of the abuse. Because typically, this is an altar created because of all of the abuse and the things that they've gone through who wants revenge, who wants justice, who wants to make things better. The whole reason they seek to make a better world for the rest of the system is the world they've gone through is horrible. Is shite. So I, I kind of wonder what's motivated him if he didn't know that. What, what's driven him to, he is also the one who turned to substances and got addicted. Mm-hmm who got into these bad situations with other people that was depressed, that was socially anxious. If he doesn't hold on to that in some portion, does he have the emotional memory of it and just not the analytical knowledge that he was abused? Like, where does that come from? Well, if we're going to take the scene we get in episode 11, literally, when both Elliot's are talking, and the host says, this is a character I made up who was the Avenger who was a master hacker, and on and on and on. One could say that the foundation was created for this character. The drive was already there. His reasoning was just he felt that drive to do it. It was emotional reasoning, not a narrative memory of I was abused as a child, just the world is bad. Emotional and, let's say, a narrative reasoning as far as it was written into his story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that was the one part I was getting a little bit hung up on that Maybe if that had been a core Elliot that emerged, and, and normally it's the core you're keeping that stuff from, right? It's the core right, who can't we handle saying. it, who originally yes. had to be broken off. That's why you stick him in this loop so he doesn't have to know or feel that stuff. And we, the other quote-unquote stronger alters, will hold it. Mr. Robot and the Avenger will hold the abuse for you. So it was a bit of a shock to me to find out that he wouldn't know that, that this would have been a revelation for the mastermind to experience. It maybe decreases the weight of that episode a little bit with Vera that I might have preferred if that was Core Elliot finding that stuff out. Mm. And then it was so hard that when he goes back and Mr. Robot's talking to him and he's crying saying, I can't do this, it's okay. We'll, we'll bring you someplace safe. And now he goes back to the loop and the mastermind comes back out. Uh, yes. If they found a way to do that without us knowing at the time and just retroactively now we look back and say, okay, yeah. Or show us in a montage. Yeah. And Mr. Robot was kind of behind all of it. I think that would have been very interesting and perhaps maybe gave more meaning to Vera. I still am finding it difficult to realize what the whole Vera meaning was. It was to come to that revelation, but if that's what I mean by seeking plot-driven things and keeping us in the dark about some stuff. Later, if you go back, some of the psychological meat that is supposed to be the most important part, I'm tripping over slightly because it feels like they had to fudge a couple things to keep us confused, such as that, which I think the impact would have been greater. And actually, it's the rough outline of it is there. If that was Core Elliot that tried to push back out, it would have made total sense in my mind. Mm. I see a way that the Avenger doesn't have those memories. I just don't think it adds up as much. And the same thing as we said with the persecutor Magda. And perhaps that altar served its point a little more in the past. The inner child comes out during certain times. So it's fine that we don't see as much of them. That will happen with a lot of these altars. They don't get as much of the limelight depending on when they're needed. And of course, this person, representative of the abuser, usually blames one or more of the altars for, for what everything. they've endured. So the rest of the system doesn't really want that person around, right? There's a few things there with Magda. 
One, the Magna we meet, and I'm not talking about the dream world one. When we finally meet this Magda, she's not mean. You can't, yeah, you can't take the loop characters. No, no, no. I'm saying besides that one, the Magda we see in the office. I think she, there's glimmers of that. She is constantly just upset with what's going on with everyone else without having a lot of real ideas or ways that they could go about this. You know, Mr. Robot's always doing it wrong, but what is the right way to do this? She is worried about their son, their real core Elliot, as they all are. But this also makes sense because that's a piece of you. So, of course, it's worried about you. But she doesn't totally bring forth those other elements of the persecutor as you probably would see them, to some extent blaming core Elliot. Somehow you instigated this abuse. You brought it on yourself. You did something wrong to deserve this. You need to be punished now. She wouldn't want anything to do with this mastermind because maybe we don't deserve to have that better world. I think there'd be more friction if she is going to be that representative. And if she's representative of the abuse, surely he took some at the hands of his mother, but not all of it. A lot of of it at his father. Yeah, It's just still a little muddled for me what she is and how that factors in. And the other question I had in regards to Magda is more of a uh, professional question, which you may not be able to answer. Why would one create a personality like this? It's not to protect them. It's not, if it's anything, it's harmful. Absolutely. It's almost something we can't stop from doing. Even though we know we shouldn't, when you've been through a situation like that, you can't help yourself but to say, did I deserve this somehow? Did I do something wrong? Am I to blame? And yet you don't want that bleeding out into every single day, every single moment. So that too, you have to compartmentalize off Okay. so that you're not always holding on to all of that. So stick that in a box too. Have it be a separate personality and one that maybe doesn't come out so much. You know, we could put Magda way back there. Okay. So that's one possible way it could manifest. Mm Mm-hmm. In others, you suppress it so much that you never think about it. You actually forget about it, but it's still... Well, that would be that part of it where if you just stopped recognizing Magda to the point that you might even forget memories of it happening. But that's not Elliot's case. No. Okay. So it's a little different from, I need a protector, so I build a protector to help me. Instead, it's, I need to get this pain away, so I'll build this prosecutor and hopefully keep her at bay and not let her come out often. And the protector probably would be at odds trying to push her back Mm. to control her, to be stronger than her. So maybe you would have seen a little more Magda robot interactions happening. Okay. And then, of course, we also talked about the inner child, a very common type of alter that's usually more easily discovered in therapy. This can be a scared or hurt child or one who preserves some factor of that innocence and purity that couldn't be held afterwards. In this situation, we did get to meet Child Elliot, and he is the one who was able to feel that he was strong, and he did fight back a little bit. But again, I keep coming back to who is holding this abuse then? Mr. Robot a little bit, but if the Avenger doesn't remember, and Core Elliot's stuck in a loop, and the Child Elliot doesn't feel it so much, who's holding on to this trauma? The host? Maybe. Maybe because we haven't seen the host a lot. But as I said, we don't get all the answers in the end, even to this stuff. And that's okay. We don't need to have all of the answers. Well, I was thinking, how fun would it be and how amazing, but I don't think Sam would do this, is if a year from now, there's a new show called Elliot Alderson, not Mr. Robot, Elliot Alderson. And we go through 
the culmination of the years before the Mr. Robot time frame and then after. So we get to actually meet the real Elliot and now he'll start to explain all those types of things and more. Fill in those little holes while actually formulating a new storyline. So the first two seasons are him going through the pain, talking to Mr. Robot, maybe the other alters are more involved at that point, him creating this story. Going to therapy. Going to therapy, creating this character, how that culminated, him working at All Safe. The end of season two is what happens, something crazy, to make the new personality come out, the Avenger. Yeah, then it'd be cool if you saw just a little of maybe the breakthroughs he gets put in this loop. But some of the times where he was trying to surface a little bit. That'd be fun. And being pushed back down. I don't think we'll ever get that. I no. think Esmel had a vision. He feels it's complete and successful. He's and it was. now saying he doesn't want to talk about the finale. He doesn't want to give interviews. Oh, so we can't get him on the podcast? He just wants to let it stand. Ah. Oh. And probably because he doesn't want questions like... Was that machine real? uh, Like that. Or are they truly integrated by the end? Is this now one whole complete Elliot? What does he look like? He wants us to interpret that how we will. Damn it. Because we really were going to... Once we finished this episode, we were going to write to Sam. See if he'd come on. But Maybe after some time goes by (laughs) and he lets that be out there in existence for a little bit, he'd be willing to talk about it. Who knows? So to sum it up, and this is reflective on our poll... We have the persecutor, the protector, the avenger, and the host. And the inner child, but we didn't put him up on the poll. Right. And that's why we just stuck to those on the poll, just in case someone didn't see the show yet and they stumbled upon our poll. We didn't want to ruin anything. But of course, lastly, there also is the helper. In this case, referred to as the voyeur. The mastermind calls him friend. That's us. And that can be a rational or objective commentator, advisor, or spectator. So we were just spectators. Maybe we had some commentary at some point that the mastermind hears. I'm not sure, but mostly we're just there to watch. He needs an audience. Yeah, but I love that fourth wall. And I think it was so much more impactful that he finally starts to talk to us again. I was like, oh, he's talking to us. (laughs) So all that being said, now that we have the personality stuff kind of figured out, I think we can jump into what happened in the episode. We are going to break it down as they did part one and part two. Before we go into the plot, we wanted to thank the Clatchers for being patient with us. I know we're a couple days later than we normally are with the completion of this podcast, but it was Christmas and Christine and myself were physically away from each other for the whole week. And we really just wanted to enjoy Christmas with our families. There's people that Jason and I don't get to see but once a year. I won't see them again for another year now until this time. There was a new birth of a baby in my family that thankfully I was able to be there for. We talk a lot about how we put a ton into this podcast, sometimes at the risk of not being able to see those who are important to us. And especially at this time of year, this might sound cliched, but that has to take precedence. And what Mm -hmm. kind of people would we be if we didn't make that type of stuff a priority? That's not to say that this isn't extremely important to us. And we were excited to talk about what's happened in the finale. But we had also said in our kind of warnings leading up to this, we know we come out on Fridays now, but this one's probably going to be a little later after Christmas is over. We didn't want to just come on and give some rushed thoughts right off the bat after having seen it. This is a complex show. We wanted to be able to do our research, take down our notes, sit on it for a couple of days. This is the very last, not just season, but series finale, we get to talk about Mr. Robot. So we wanted to give you the product that you deserved. Unfortunately, within that time, I have also gotten very sick. Yeah. So if I sound horrible, I apologize for that. 
So all that is to say thank you very much for being Clatchers and for following us through this journey. We believe that this is going to be a long episode because we essentially have two episodes worth of plot. So I think what we're going to do, if it fits, is I'm going to end this podcast after part one so that I can edit it and get it out sooner. And then part two will still be recorded tonight, but I'll start editing that after. And this way, even though it's broken up into two podcasts, this way you get some content quicker. And part two will also cover our overall thoughts towards the end on the series as a whole, not just this season and the finale. And the Clatcher's comments and all that will be part two. So part one opens up with flashbacks. We see a bunch of quick scenes, Elliot jumping out the window, his mother is gone, leading up to him going back to the Washington Township plant the meltdown, and the red screen. I love that they started it with the red screen. And then our Elliot wakes up laying on the ground, still shaking from the tremors of the earthquake. He says, hello, friend. Wait, you can hear me again? Have you been there this whole time? I was so focused on the hack that I thought you were gone. After what just happened at the plant, I thought I was gone too. We're dead, right? There's no way we survived. But then how am I talking to you? And if you're here, where's Mr. Robot? Oh my God, I literally just wrote, he's talking to us again. Another indicator though, how these are all facets of his mind. Well, if I'm here, you must be here too. And thus, where is Mr. Robot? We can't exist without each other. Also, at this point, I was really excited because this was the first indicator that some of our theories were starting to unfold in front of us. And it wasn't just our theories, it was the Clatchers and other people said it too. But the fact that the earthquake was Elliot coming into this world... So what he sees now, it looks like the place where the Washington Township power plant was, but instead a sign shows Washington Township Community Center Mm -hmm. coming soon. It's a nicer, more perfect world. Elliot thinks that's impossible. There's no way White Rose's machine worked, right? And this is where they have you questioning, yet again, from the end of last episode to the beginning of this, did he get sent somewhere else? Mm -hmm. And a part of me wanted it to be true because I have this little monster inside of me who's like, is the machine real? Is this possible? Of course. I think he did too. Was Angela right in going crazy? You know? Yeah, I want to get to that later. Here, Elliot walks through the streets. He sees the sign for the Mr. Robot store and thinks it's been gone for 20 years, ever since he died. Curious, he enters and picks up the cell phone on the counter. It's 1116. He hears his father talking in the back room and says, my monster is still alive. Seeing Edward about to come out, he runs out of the store. Drops the phone, cracks it, and runs out the store. Next, he watches from behind a tree as Edward leaves the store. He follows him through the neighborhood to his old house. He stops a neighbor who recognizes him but thinks he looks different. Looks different, huh? Well, to me, I thought maybe just disheveled because we know this Elliot is always done nice. He's dressed well. His hair is nice. His eyes aren't as baggy. Hood up, all in black. His nose is bleeding at some point in this interaction. And he asks her if she knows where Darlene is, but the neighbor insists he doesn't have a sister. It's then Magda comes out and sees him, saying she wasn't expecting him until tomorrow. He just missed his father, who went to the city, to have lunch with him, by the way. She thinks he looks too skinny and takes him in for lunch. Inside, he looks at pictures on the wall. No Darlene, of course. And thinks this doesn't sound like his mom. It sounds like someone who loves their son. Everyone has changed here, including him. And he wonders if their past has changed, has mine. This is the world he always wanted. Yeah. It's a normal house, a normal family. 
his mom cares about him. She wants to feed him and ask him what's going on and why is he freaking out? Even as he says all this weird stuff to her, he wants to see his room, but he thinks his room is the coat closet. Yeah. So there's little things that have changed. That room, that window is too painful. So let's delete that room in, in our his brain. Loop. That's just a closet. And we have a whole different room with trophies. I was a skateboarder. I played baseball. I got coding trophies. <laughs> Confused, though, he now asks Magda if she remembers him having an accident when he was eight. And she says that didn't happen. In fact, he's never broken a bone in his whole life. You never jumped out that window. She's worried about him. I'm worried about you. Why don't we sit down? If I didn't jump, does that mean there was no reason to? No. Just tell me. Did you ever hurt me? Your father and I would never, ever hurt you. We love you more than anything. Again, reinforcing that they were both abusive to him in some fashion when he was a child. And this is a world where he gets two parents who love him. And he's going to have in-laws who love him too, but, but right now we see that part of it. And this Magda begins chalking up his odd behavior to the stress of his big day tomorrow, which is when Elliot realizes he's going to marry Angela. So he runs off to see her. He wonders if this is the world he fought so hard for one free of all the pain, could it be real? But he won't let himself believe until he sees Angela, then he'll know. He goes to her apartment in the city, rings the bell, and who answers the door? Price, his soon-to-be father-in-law. He and Emily are there, and they invite him warmly inside. Oh, I forgot to say, when Elliot in his old house turns down the corner to go into a hallway, our cable did it again. I think our cable oh, hates, yeah. cor- uh, hates hallways. Elliot turning corners in hallways. Yeah. <laughs> glitched out again. So what did you think about happy father-in-law price? Well, it was good to see him again. (laughs) Um, In my head, I was like, wait, so, okay, is he not a multi-multi-billionaire? He's a lot nicer. He settled down with Emily instead. They raised Angela together. But looking back at it now, after after we've seen both episodes, I'm starting to wonder, did our Elliot know these people before? Because if he did, then he knew about E-Corp, the 1% of the 1%. Did he know Price enough that this version of him would take the good parts and internalize him as the Angela father she never got to have? That's what I mean. Some of it is still kind of weird to me. I can't quite figure it all out. And that's why next year's Elliot Alderson season is going to be amazing. (laughs) But I do love, we also didn't get to see much of Emily Moss ever really within the show. I mean, a couple of times, but we get a look at her here. She tells Elliot she's so happy to see the two of them finally marry. Watching them grow up, she always knew there was something special between them, but she worried Angela wouldn't see it. Mm -hmm. Elliot says, well, she did always have that bad taste in men. He then sees the photo collage on the wall, Angela's surprise gift to him. So he got her the book and she's gotten him this. Every moment he wishes he ever had with her. Absolutely. He says he's imagined it so many times, what normal people do, get married, start a family. But then they're interrupted. Emily is confused by a call from Elliot on her cell phone, even though she's looking at Elliot. Price surmises it must be some kind of tech trick. This is the you know Elliot and his yeah, tricks. This is the first time this episode where the tension starts to build a little bit. And you're like, oh, shit. And they let it linger. Mm-hmm. They're all just kind of sitting there looking at the ringing phone. What do we do? 
what's going to happen if you answer until Elliot hastily grabs the phone and hears his own voice on the other end. While Price and Emily watch worriedly, they experience another earthquake. The drinks knock over, Emily cuts herself on the glass, and Elliot runs out. I love the fact that last episode, this whole scene makes sense now. The glass, the blood. It was just enough last episode where you had in your head, did something bad happen here? Did someone get killed? Is there another character in this world that's going to now fight Elliot in this world to make it not as good or pure? But seeing it in this episode, having Elliot answer the phone, I think you said that. You were like, maybe our Elliot answered the phone on the other end. That was trippy in itself. But a weird part of me, and this is something I always go to where in TV shows and movies, I I never want, when a character is embarrassed or ruining things, I feel embarrassed. I started to think, okay, so if this world is a world that our Elliot will end up in, are we going to learn that even given the perfect world, the perfect situations, our Elliot will manage to ruin it? Because right away, he's already acting funky with the parents. They're starting to, you know, give that look in their eyes like, what's going what's on? What's up with him? And progressively, the more time he's with them, it's getting worse. He's snatching phones. He's very aggressive. That's where my brain was starting to go. Okay, so maybe that's the lesson we'll learn. Mm, you can't No matter what, you can't be here you're not good enough. Or I thought that too, perhaps if this was a parallel reality, which I had sort of given up on. I never really thought that even at the end of exit, I thought it was a simulation. Yeah. But if it were, maybe that's why people like the dark army believers and white Rose herself chose to kill themselves in this world because they knew they had to be this version you can't be our world version and go to the parallel world. It won't work that way. Right. And I thought he's tried to do it opposite and it's all backfiring on him. But even in this one, I questioned the simulation theory because I was thinking he's playing it wrong. It's glitching, mm-hmm. which he kind of is. If you think about that in his mind, he's making it glitch. He's not meant to be here. And every time he comes up against himself or he tries to break that barrier, we get an earthquake. It's the mind giving a little shudder. We can't hold up this delusion anymore. And of course, we will see those earthquakes get more and more frequent as this goes on. So Elliot runs out, goes to the subway station. We see a poster for something called Heroes that says, Evil never wins. Sign number one. Elliot's freaking out that he heard his own voice, wondering, are there two of them? What if this world isn't mine? He goes to his apartment, finds that his key still works, looks around and thinks, this guy is definitely not me. It's okay, go, Elliot. (laughs) his apartment, where his old burned CDs used to be under the dresser, now is a photo album. He can't believe it, and needing to learn more, he hacks his computer. This is an interesting shot where the camera starts spinning back and forth between him and the computer screen, just searching, searching, trying to hack himself. It doesn't seem to be yielding anything. Checking his social media, he sees this guy doesn't have social anxiety. He makes a good living. He has lots of friends. Everything in his life seems perfect, but everyone has secrets. I don't care how happy he looks, everyone has a monster, he says. He finally finds a hidden partition, a drive full of files that are blocked. F society labeled images. When he opens them up, he sees himself. These are images. somehow hack my world 
Yes, you are, <laughs> Mr. Avenger. Now, in this scene, we get our second instance of tension, but it's even more. And they start us off with the tension of, of the shots between the computer and Elliot. Computer, Elliot, computer. And you're like, oh, my God, this is intense. <laughs> and then Matt Quayle's song, there it is again. God, I love that. To sit on the photos of our Elliot <clears throat> and our F Society and our Darlene. I was freaking out. <laughs> yeah. It's then that, okay, go Elliot returns home. This is the scene we left off on last time. He asks, who are you? Our Elliot says they need to talk. He stops him from calling the cops by promising to explain. Other Elliot realizes he looks just like those sketches. <laughs> and so he says, sometimes when I get bored, I create people in my head like him. Someone with a more exciting life like a superhero. Except his powers would be computers. He'd be a cybersecurity engineer by day and vigilante hacker by night. Is that what you are? He says F Society name is just the name he came up with for the hacker group. One an anarchist might develop. And sometimes he fantasizes about being him, but not really. He's angry. He has no life. He's alone, not normal. Ooh. Ouch. I mean... And then they sit on our Elliot's face. <laughs> you just see him. It's me you're talking about. And when the other Elliot realizes that, he's like, oh, shit. Sorry, Sorry. man. <laughs> it's just so sad. This scene was done very beautifully. We have the one light source. It's pretty dark in there. The panning back and forth. I really enjoyed the exercise of acting there. I broke it down the second time I watched that scene to Rami Malek. How is he changing things? The tonality of the voice is a little different, but not caricature different <laughs> to the way he sits, to the nuances, the little, the little twitches you get on your face when you're speaking to somebody, the way you raise your eyebrows. They are all different. He's so much more relaxed as, okay, go, Elliot. This is just a conversation, the way he holds himself, the way his, his facial muscles are more relaxed. Micro-expressions, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. he's intrigued, but... Not nervous. The other Elliot, our Elliot, his whole face just holds this tension all the time. He's ready to avenge. Like, I wonder if Rami Malek <laughs> walks off scene and he needs to have his jaw muscles <laughs> massaged because I never totally realized that before. But this is also the really scary moment where our Elliot starts talking in his head, trying to figure this out. You know, he doesn't belong here. He's talking to us. What's and happening? And, and the other Elliot is hearing it. That was so fun. I love these little fun things. This, this is the real indicator right there. He can hear it inside his mind because they're both inside his mind. In that moment, I wish we could talk and be like, wait, you can hear us too? <laughs> oh, so our Elliot's about to leave thinking this isn't right when the other Elliot grabs him and another earthquake sends him falling to the ground. He's wounded pretty bad. Angela calls. Our Elliot answers, and she tells him tomorrow they'll be together forever, finally. She notes his hesitancy and says he always overthinks things. He just needs to finally let himself be happy. It's a choice you have to make, a switch you have to flick on. And it is like sending him a message because hearing this, he allows himself to hope. He thinks he can't lose her again. Whatever it takes, he's going to do it. And it's then he leans over. Instead of helping, he smothers the other Elliot to death. Oh, man. This really got you, this part. It really did, because I'm going these four seasons rooting for Elliot. And this was the moment where I was saying to myself, well, I can't root for him now. From this point on, everything he does, I'm going to hate him. In the meantime, Matt Quayle has the sickening music going on. It's definitely a horror movie right now. Uh, 
And I was taking Murder the mate. exact opposite stance. I was like, you got to do it. There can't be two. If you want this life, you got to take them out. But it's, how can you root for this guy because now? Because it's you. It's the other version of you. So you're basically deciding which one gets to win. And this is our Elliot, who we've been with for four <laughs> seasons. Doesn't he deserve this chance for once? And this is what's going through his mind at happiness. He's never gotten any of this. For just a moment, he wants to be able to have Angela and get married and be happy. But does the Elliot, the other Elliot deserve this? No. Well, absolutely not. But he's gotten to stay here for however long. <laughs> so you're like, he's happy And enough. marry Angela 45 million <laughs> well, times. Well, we didn't know that at that point. <laughs> no, but he's gotten to live this life, we're assuming. Yes, of course. Where he gets to be happy. So you were like, fuck that guy. This it's one our needs turn. a shot. <laughs> Remind me to never cross you. I could see in the future this being a very big political debate. Let's say 100 years from now, 50 years from now, whatever, that we are able to make clones of ourselves. Mm, who's the real one? Well, so a lot of people have clones and there'll be instances where a clone is killed by the host, let's say. Mm-hmm. There's going to be political legality issues with that where they're going to c- campaign saying... It's still a life. They it have is their a life. Own rights, they have their just own rights. They're clones. Yeah. And then you'll be up there saying, they don't. F that person. Well, no, in this experience, <laughs> I would be the clone. I just killed my host. Well, that's true. Yeah. Ooh, well, that's really <laughs> that's bad. That's like reverse. That's crazy. So, anyways, I was really struggling with this at this moment. And this is the way the episode ends. I'm thinking, oh, they ruined it. <laughs> I can't like him anymore. I was finally totally excited by it because I'm going, okay. I'm totally sure now this is something in his mind, but I don't know what it is. And I was wondering, is this some kind of false idealization that we need to get rid of? This isn't reality either. This is okay, go, Elliot. And it turns out that that is the case later on. It's this idealistic, repetitive loop he's constructed, and it can't be real. We have to keep shattering these illusions if we want to get to something that is actually real. Now, the problem is... Into the next episode, he tries to exist in this world Mm -hmm. and live in it, which you can't do. But at this point, it felt exciting where we might go in part two. But I was also nervous that it felt we took so long to get there. I thought, oh my goodness, we've just gone through all of episode 12, all of part one. We don't have any answers. How is he going to do this? How is Esmail going to wrap it all up in one more hour? But we leave off on the line. Elliot says, please don't judge me. This was inevitable. Both of us can't exist here in this world. I had no other choice. And I'm thinking, you had other choices. You just (laughs) didn't give yourself time to think about them. What a way to end it, though. And what a weird way to end this episode. But what we're going to do, and I apologize. I really hope this doesn't annoy our clatchers. I hope it makes sense to you why we're doing this. But we're going to end this episode. I'm going to promise you guys within a day, a day and a half, depending on how shitty work is tomorrow, Uh, I'll get the next episode out to you as well, where we will discuss episode 13, either titled Season Finale Part 2 or Hello, Elliot. We will break down that plot line. We will go over our MVHs and our series MVHs. Our robot ratings. Our Clatcher's comments. And our final closing thoughts on the Mr. Robot series as a whole. This amazing journey that we've been on together for four seasons. So we'll see you in a minute. This round is on me. 